We've been laying foundations for the last several weeks and trying to prepare our hearts for this study in the Gospel of Luke. We began with understanding the significance of prayer through the book of Acts, and then we talked last week about the significance of the truth of the Word of God and what the inerrancy of the Scripture means for you. And this morning, helping you to see what is the significance of the Holy Spirit. What, what role does he play? What will he do in a life of, of every believer? And then beginning next week, we're going to start then moving our way through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, since we did chapter 1 and most of chapter 2 uh, already, we're going to pick it up halfway through chapter 2 uh, starting next week. Um, those of you who are here or would like to be part of uh, a connect group, uh, both Zach and Isaac are going to help lead um, a group through a study that's related to the message every Sunday morning. So for the next six weeks, we're going to have the we're going to be in the go broad section, kind of working our way through the first uh, four chapters of the Gospel of Luke, and uh, they're going to be facilitating a conversation. So I would encourage you to pick up uh, this study guide. It's um, engaging God's Word, the study on Luke. I think it'll be a tremendous benefit to you and. Uh, and um, I know that those guys would, would love to have you part, be part of that, uh, of that group starting next week. More in the Maranatha Minute. It's clear through the readings, reading this morning that Zach did through the first four chapters of the, of the Gospel of Luke, the attention that Jesus, or that Luke, gives to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? We don't have time to, to really go deep in that. I just want to make some observations for us this morning, and I want to make a, a hard connection to life as we look at the, at the Scripture. Clearly, in the ministry of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was instrumental. The Holy Spirit was essential to, um, to empower uh, the ministry of Jesus and to, 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 to cause there to be an effective working in the hearts of those who encountered his ministry. Jesus, maybe surprisingly to the disciples, will make this statement on the night before he was crucified in John 16, verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now that must have shocked the disciples to the core. But what Jesus means is that the ministry of the Spirit who, um, who empowered the life and ministry of Christ during his earthly ministry was just the beginning of what Jesus intended that ministry to look like in the life of every person who puts their faith and hope in Jesus. J.D. Greer, in his book, Gaining by Losing, uh, writes a scenario I, I, I want to just read for you briefly to kind of bring this home for us, help it resonate in our own hearts, maybe the same way it must have resonated in the hearts of the disciples. He says, Imagine your pastor announces that the youth pastor your kids love is transferring to a new church. You feel sad, but then your pastor tells you, hey, good news, Jesus Christ has submitted his resume. He's going to be our new youth pastor. I'm assuming that you'd all be very excited. 
Yet Jesus said that if we really understood what is being offered to us in the Spirit of God, if we had to choose between hiring Jesus or having a church that is punctuated and indwelt by the Holy Spirit individually, that we would make a decision for the latter. The ministry potential of the Spirit of God in ordinary people is greater than if Jesus himself stayed on earth to lead the mission. That's Jesus' words. Doesn't the fact that we are not as excited about the Spirit inside of us as we should be, as, or as we would be as Jesus being our youth pastor, show how far removed we are from Jesus' promise? End quote. It's a telling story and maybe resonates in our own hearts. We think, oh, wow, Jesus could be our pastor, maybe even better than being youth pastor. Jesus could be the teaching pastor of the church. Who would, who would ask for anything better than that? I want both, maybe you would say. And yet, Jesus makes it clear that you can't have one and the other, that Jesus needed to leave before the ministry of the Spirit could come and indwell us and live with us and be present among us. The promise of the Holy Spirit is written throughout this letter of the Gospel of Luke and also in the book of Acts, this two-part volume, as it were. And, and so to see the ministry of the Spirit show up in the life of Christ and then to see how that same ministry of the Holy Spirit begins to characterize those who call themselves followers of God. This new age, this church age, would be punctuated by this ministry of the Spirit himself. That ministry of the Holy Spirit, which forms a contrast to those who are living in the Old Testament age versus those who are living in the New Covenant age. John the Baptist begins to draw a comparison, and I want to just draw your attention this morning to Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. That's where we're going to spend uh, our attention this morning to try to help us recognize the significance of the Holy Spirit and the role that he plays in the life of Jesus' ministry and thus the role that he intends to accomplish in our lives as well. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to grab a pew Bible. I think it's page 858 in the pew Bible ahead of you. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, says this. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John couldn't be more clear in this, in this section of, of, of Luke, chapter, 15, uh, chapter 3, 15 to 17, in drawing a comparison between his ministry and the ministry of Jesus Christ. His ministry is mightier. His ministry is greater. And as prominent as my ministry might be as a prophet, as prominent as my ministry may be as, as, a, as a truth teller in conveying the word of God in repentance and confession of sin, as important as that might be, it is inferior to the ministry of Jesus 
who was indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. John's ministry stands at the crossroads between the Old and New Testament. And, and John, in his ministry as forerunner, calls attention to the significance of what, of what we as believers now have access to because of the ministry of Christ. So this morning, I want to just draw your attention briefly, however briefly, this morning to this contrast that John paints for us in calling attention to the significance of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of Jesus Christ. It was not a limiting work as John's work was. It was a, it was a powerful work, and we see that first. It was not limited in power. Verse 15 as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. There was growing in the hearts of the people of that day an anticipation. Who was this man, John the Baptist? Who was this Elijah-like figure out in the wilderness who proclaimed boldly, who, who dressed the part by wearing camel's hair and, and a, leather beer, or a leather belt and ate locusts and honey, who preached boldly? Who was this one in the wilderness? There was this expectation, a looking forward to, and a questioning in their hearts, a wondering, a questioning, an anticipating thinking about and arguing to themselves, who might this man be? And because of his ministry, he garnered attention. If you look back with me at the earlier parts of chapter 3, you'll see he said to the crowds, and then in verse 10, the crowds asked him. This crowd was made up, we see in verse 12, of tax collectors, and then in, in verse 14, of soldiers. We begin to appreciate his ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, and we see how, how prominent his ministry was when we read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 5, Then Jerusalem and all the region, excuse me, and all Judea and all the region of the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So that even, we find in verse 7, many Pharisees and Sadducees came to his baptism. It was a prominent ministry. But it was a limited ministry because it was a ministry, although working out through the power of the Spirit, the Apostle John, who was filled and dwelt by the Spirit, it was pointing to the greater ministry, the permanent ministry, the powerful ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in his life. What fed to the enthusiasm was this prophecy about John written in, by Isaiah 700 years before. We find that in verses 4 to 6. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be lifted, or every filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight, and the rough places become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John the Baptist, in preparing the way for Messiah, was helping to set the stage, and repentance being that first work of God in a heart. Here he was, in the wilderness, denouncing sin, proclaiming the kingdom, pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. But his ministry was limited. 
It was limited in a way that Jesus' ministry would not because John the Baptist was not the Christ. When confronted directly, we see in John chapter 1, verse 19, confronted directly by the Levites from Jerusalem, who are you? And John confesses emphatically, I am not the Christ. I have not, I'm not the one who is bringing the power. I am not the one whose ministry that you look for. I'm not the one who will establish a new way for the Holy Spirit's indwelling work, the powerful work in your heart to lead you to true fellowship and faith. I'm not that one. I'm a mere man. But his ministry would point to the ministry of Jesus. Again, we find in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, a ministry that would be characterized by the work of the Spirit, where it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus, who was from that Uh, shoot, the stump of Jesse was the one that everyone was anticipating. He was the one whose ministry would not be limited. He, He was the one whose ministry would be full of the power of the Spirit. Well, not only was his ministry limited in that John was not the Christ, but Jesus' ministry was not limited in power because of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. We also see in verse 16 that it was not limited in scope. Jesus' ministry was not limited in scope. I wanna draw your attention just, just to three observations that all center around this baptism, the difference in baptism, this water baptism of, of John the Baptist versus the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is alluded to here in verse 16. I baptize you with water, and then towards the end, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Just three observations. John is pointing to the ministry of Christ that will be internal and not external. An internal ministry rather than an external ministry. This external ministry that John the Baptist had of dunking people in the Jordan River Uh, kind of bearing testimony to the the washing and the cleansing of sins, this emphatic position of the water here in this text helps us to recognize the, the significance of what John was doing in terms of drawing attention to the inner work that was supposed to happen through this external process. But John was not able to affect the heart. The the ministry of John in his baptism was unable to actually change what was going on inside. It can only draw a picture of what was happening externally. He draws a contrast here. He uses a Greek word, men, which is a marker of emphasis. It means indeed or on the one hand, We don't see it in the ESV translation, but we do see it in the New King James. It says, indeed, I baptize you with water. Trying to draw a contrast between his baptism and the baptism of Jesus Christ. With water I baptize, the point, John's baptism was merely external. 
much like everything in Judaism, keeping the law and sacrifice, uh, sprinkling of blood, pilgrimages to Jerusalem, circumcision, and all the ritualistic duties that were built into the law were all external. They were aiming at the heart. They sought to draw and, and, and change the heart, but they couldn't. They were ineffective in their ability, their power, to actually change what was going on inside. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, we see that it was a ministry that, that sought to, to lead people into confession of sin, to lead people into repentance, into a changed life. But all that, that John the Baptist sought to accomplish, he could not do because he was dealing with externals and only God could deal with the heart. This baptism of repentance was just a first step it was meant to point them to the deeper issues. But the problem is it couldn't actually create change. John's ministry was limited. But, but his ministry pointed to the greater work, the greater ministry of Jesus and the anticipation of all that had been promised in the Old Testament of what would come from this Messiah figure in, in bringing real power and real change, not just on the outside, but also on the inside. Ezekiel 36 speaks about this in verses 25 and 27. Speaking of the Messiah, I will sprinkle clean water on you, you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Now we're getting somewhere. Not just these external ceremonial things, but, but now the, the, the power of the Spirit to actually affect change inside. And because it was internal and not merely external, it was also spiritual rather than physical. That's our second point. Kind of stepping now into this even further to, to recognize uh, the, the, what the ministry of Jesus came to offer a spiritual rather than a merely physical change. Like circumcision, baptism pointed to a spiritual reality but couldn't actually change the spiritual life. This baptism of repentance from sin uh, illustrated a ritual of cleansing and we're going to look at this a, a little more in a couple of weeks. This was not a, a, a Jewish ceremony. This was actually a Gentile ceremony to welcome Gentiles into the Jewish community. And here Jews were recognizing that they were outsiders and coming essentially into repentance and confession and, and seeking to, to emulate in an in a outward, external way what, what they desired to happen for them spiritually but the real work had to happen on the inside it had to be a spiritual work psalmist david points to this this desire for cleansing and washing in psalm 51 verses 2 and verse 7 he says wash me thoroughly from my iniquity cleanse me from my sin purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and i will be whiter than snow John's baptism was meant to illustrate that spiritual reality. And yet again, as we know that Jesus 
in his continual dealings with the people in that first century, they couldn't seem to overcome the, the barrier of this outward, external law-keeping. The physical procedures, the keeping of Sabbath, the trimming of, of their beards, the tithing of mint, the praying in public, the wearing of phylacteries, the following of the nuances of the law. It was all so external, and they measured themselves by that external uh, posture. But Jesus was after what was going on in their hearts, so that he even condemns their ritualism because it was external, it was superficial, it was physical and not spiritual. In Matthew 23, verses 25 and 26, he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. Pointing to a spiritual need that these people had. The same is true for us. We can do our morning devotions. We can say our morning prayers. We can walk an aisle. We can make a decision. We can get baptized. We can join a church. We can take communion. We can volunteer for ministry. All of those outward expressions of uh, alignment to God, but it can all be so mechanical. And unless there is real heart and life change, unless there is a spiritual aspect to those things, it's all meaningless. So it was the ministry of Jesus. It was internal, not external. It was spiritual, not just merely physical. And because it was spiritual, it was also eternal. It was eternal rather than temporal. It was the kind of ministry that would last. It was the kind of ministry that would have an effect for the long haul. There was one thing about reading through the history of the Jews. I don't know if you've ever spent time reading through Genesis, through Malachi, and, and the, the continual um, perspective that you get is of this broken, sinful, fickle people their inconsistency, their inability to, to follow with, with, with any degree of perseverance. They were kind of the hot and cold people. They were the in and out kind of people. They were the, the kinds of people who were, who were up one day and down the other, back and forth in every way. Maybe the most prominent example is found at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 where God tells Moses to deliver some words to the people and these are the words that he was supposed to communicate to them in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So what did they do? How did they respond? Well, they responded this way in verses 7 and 8. It says, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and sat before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported these were the words of the people to the Lord. And yet you know, not a whole lot of time went by, just a couple more chapters, 
And here, this emphatic expression of exuberance and, and commitment to do everything that God had said evaporated almost in a moment. And just a couple chapters later, they're asking Aaron to make for them other gods, and they defile themselves in idolatry before the Lord. Oh, this fickle people. And yet the ministry of the Holy Spirit working through the life of Jesus in, in calling the followers of God to also experience the kind of spiritual reality that will endure this eternal work of God in a heart of those who follow him. It's not temporary, not superficial. And so the ministry of Jesus was not limited in power. It was not limited in scope, and we see in verse 17, it was also not limited in authority. Not limited in authority. Notice it says, the end of verse 16, moving into verse 17, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into barns, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The ministry of Jesus comes with authority. It comes to condemn sin. It comes to provide the, the final separation between a holy God and an unholy people. So that those who decide to, to rebel against God and, and not to align their hearts to Him in faith will experience the consequence of unquenchable fire. We'll pick this up in a couple of weeks and dig in a little further. But we see consistently through the Gospel of Luke at least three other occasions where the word fire is, is describing the judgment of God. Here, Luke is, is very clear about the, the judging work, this twofold ministry of Jesus in the baptism of the Spirit for those who believe in Him and the baptism of fire, which is judgment, we see in verse 17, on those who are the chaff. They will burn with unquenchable fire. We find from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. While John the Baptist could deliver a message of judgment, he could warn those who, about, those who, about what was coming. He could denounce wickedness. He could point to the standard. But he was not in the position of, or the authority of judging. Only Jesus is in that position. And because of his work on the cross, in judging sin uh, in his death, he makes a way for us to experience deliverance from sin if you believe in him as your Savior. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. Have you done that this morning? And those who have done that are those who will enjoy the fruits, the benefits of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The same ministry that Jesus experienced and demonstrated in, uh, during his life is a ministry that we, too, get to experience. So we come to this final question that you'll find on the back of your, of your outline this morning. What will the Spirit accomplish in a person's life? 
in the life of a believer? What can you expect to see? What are the evidences that the Spirit is, is there in your life? What can, what, can, what can you come to expect? Well, this was a major theme for the Apostle Paul in writing to the church of Ephesus. And we could spend uh, the next several weeks going through this study as well, but I just want to call your attention to the emphasis that Paul places on power throughout this little letter to this church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 20, we find the Apostle Paul in the middle of a prayer. And part of his prayer is that they would, they would come to understand the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Dropping down to chapter 3, verse 16, he's praying again. And he's praying this time in verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Then in verse 20, he's continuing this prayer, calling attention to the power of God. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work in us. We could go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and we could see that, that, that the Apostle Paul is encouraging this church, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. But moving to chapter 6, verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 18, praying always, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There is power that's available to you as a believer, to those who have submitted themselves in faith to Jesus. What does that power look like? What does that kind of life look like? Well, William Carey, who did missions in the latter parts of the, of the 1700s and the early parts of the 1800s, he's the, the father of the modern mission movement, says this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. What kind of things are we talking about? Well, we hear a quote like that, and we think about a life of, of William Carey and, and all the sacrifices that he made, all the commitments that he, that he invested, and we think about, well, in order for my life to really matter, then I need, I need to make these big sacrifices. I need to make a significant contribution. I need to devote uh, uh, maybe a week of my summer to missions. Or maybe I need to become a, a full-time missionary or, or a full-time pastor. We think giant-sized obedience and sacrifice is what a life of faithful commitment to a big God will result in. Well, maybe it will. But as we said a couple of years ago, we said ordinary plus ordinary equals extraordinary. And what we meant by that is God intends to work through the mundane things of life, the faithful investment and commitment to obedience day by day by day by day to string together all of the ordinaries of life and equal at the very end uh, some culmination of extras, ordinaries. One blogger put it this way, everyone wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes. My life 
is rich in dirty dishes and diapers, and short in revolution. I go to a church full of older people who live pretty normal lives, middle-class homes, but I have really come to appreciate this community to see their lifetimes of sturdy faithfulness to Jesus, their commitment to prayer, the tangible, beautiful generosity that they show to those around them unnoticed, unimpressive, unmarkable, unrevolutionary ways. The power of the Spirit works in the life of the ordinary. As we commit ourselves to consistent, faithful obedience day after day after day. It begins with you, children. It begins with the kids as you decide that you're going to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It, 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 it continues as you, as children, recognize the significance of honoring your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it might be well with you. You might live long on the earth. It moves on to those who are good students and and learning to do their work faithfully, learning to do it with integrity, learning to do it with excellence and to their best. It moves into those who are singles, maximizing your singleness for the sake of kingdom labors, recognizing that in your singleness there are things you can do on a day-for-day basis you could never do as a married person. It moves to those who are married in your commitment to your husband or your commitment to your wife. The faithful investments of waking up and, and bearing sometimes another day with that person sleeping across the bed from you. It moves into the realm of employment, faithful labors, and consistent integrity in your workplace, in the community as a a neighbor, in the way that you reach out and, and are concerned for those people living across the street from you, how you treat them when they take advantage of you, how they how you treat them when they treat you in a way that is disrespectful. The ordinary parts of life, as you align your heart day by day to God's standard and you you seek to communicate the wonder of who God is in those mundane moments, mundane moments of life. You can look at virtually every life in the Old Testament that seems significant. And when you really come to, to study that life, you will see it's just a string of ordinary events. Look at the life of Moses, and you recognize throughout the book of Exodus, God said, Moses did. God said, Moses did. God said, Moses did. God said, Moses did. And you string all of the faithful obedience of ordinary, everyday life, and you get the life of Moses. How do we do this? What is the, what is the Spirit, what does the Spirit do in the life of those who are seeking to follow after him and and to enjoy the power of his presence. Well, there are so many different ways that he he shows up, but let me just call your attention briefly as we close to just these seven ministries of the Spirit in the life of those who follow after Jesus. First, the Holy Spirit will help you love the word. He will help you love the word. 
you will come to a place where you'll taste and see that the Lord is good. And the psalmist in Psalm 19 says, Sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb is the word of God. Jesus, in John 15, verse 26, tells his disciples, He will teach you, speaking of the Spirit, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance of the things that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will call attention to the words that matter, the words of life, the words that are abundant. (laughs) He will help you love the Word of God. That's what the Spirit does. And that's how you know you have the Spirit. He will do that for you. Second is He will help you hate sin. So you'll love the Bible and you'll hate sin. John chapter 16, verse 8. It says, And when He comes again, Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You come to the place where you're walking in the Spirit and you're not fulfilling the desires of the flesh because the Spirit will be active in your life and will tap you on the shoulder every time you want to do the wrong thing. And as Paul says in Galatians, he talks about the the competing power of the Spirit and the flesh. And So you can't even do the things you want to do because the Spirit of, of Christ is in you helping you to overcome the sin that besets you. He will help you to hate sin. Number three, he will help you to serve the body with spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, speaking of the spiritual gifts, we see that uh, Paul says, one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And as we saw in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, and as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Those of us who have the indwelling Holy Spirit will look forward to ways to use the spiritual gifts that God has given to us to steward it in the body, to bless those around us. That's what the Spirit does. We find, number four, that the Spirit will help us to live in unity. Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A mark of true believers. A mark of those who are, who are one with Christ will demonstrate they're also one with one another. It's a work of the Spirit in us to help us overcome some of the hard things that happen in relationship, in community, the conflicts and the disagreements and the difference of opinions that take place. But the Spirit helps us overcome those things helps us to live in a way that's unified and peaceful. Number five, he will help you follow, or excuse me, fellowship with God. I think I have. He will help you talk with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He will not only help to overcome your weakness in prayer, He will ignite your heart with a passion to talk to God. And finally, he will help you grow in obedience. 
He will help you grow in obedience. We see that so many places, but particularly in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to act for his good pleasure. The Holy Spirit working in a life will lead you to greater obedience. Do you have the Spirit? Is he working in the ordinary parts of your life? And as I just finished uh, recently the, the um, biography of Jim Elliott, you, you think about the, 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 the investment that was made there in Ecuador and, and spilling his blood in that river. It was preceded by ordinary events of obedience that went all the way back to the earliest parts of his high school and college life day by day, committing himself to following Jesus in ordinary things. Eventually led him to Ecuador so that he came to the place of recognizing, what is his quote? Um, what's that? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. May we spend ourselves for things that matter with the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, we thank you this morning that the Christian life is not something we have to live alone. But we have power, the power of your Spirit. Work in our lives, I pray, to accomplish your purposes day by day, wherever we are. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. God bless you. Thank you.